there. Uh, some of you, as you're making your way there, I'll just tell you, some of you know this already, but um, believe it or not, when, when Karen and I moved here uh, back in 2007, we were in a totally different stage of life than what we are now. Um, you know, all of our kids were little. Nathan was not quite two at that time. And now he's uh, almost uh, as tall as me. In fact, he checks, I think, every day to see if he has sprouted in the night. Um, and uh, now I've got my oldest daughter, Sarah. She's uh, taken the ACT already. She's going to take the SAT soon. We're doing college visits. And uh, my younger daughter, Ashley, will get her driver's license the end of the month. And, uh, and since the girls are so close in age, uh, it's just going to just be boom, boom. And I'm going to, in the next uh, about two and a half years, I'm going to have only two kids at home. Uh, I've got 17 months before Sarah leaves. And then 12 months after that, Ashley will be gone. And Karen and I have had a lot of conversation about this because uh, we are at a point where we're realizing our days are numbered and we don't um, have that much time to parent with our kids at home with us full time anymore. And so we have got to pack in all of the good stuff before they leave, right? There's some things they don't know yet how to do some things they, uh, they need to be reminded of before they head off to college and become adults. And uh, I was thinking about that reality this week as I came to this passage, which are the final ten verses of this whole book of Romans. You know, it's taken us over a year to go through Romans. Uh, I don't apologize for that. Romans has a lot of deep deep teaching in it and uh, to really study it takes some some good time and uh, hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as I have uh, but if not we're coming to the end of it today <laughs> and and th these 10 verses if you will are kind of like what kind of like what Karen and I are doing you know we're giving our girls uh, our last shot you know this is the last this is the last few months you're going to be with us. We're going to teach you everything we can, everything that maybe we didn't emphasize enough, everything you don't yet know before you head off into adulthood. Because this is our last shot at you before you go off into adulthood. And, and these 10 verses are Paul's last shot, if you will, at the Roman church before uh, he closes out his letter to them. And he packs in some great stuff. He packs in some words of encouragement for them. He packs in some affectionate greetings to them and some praise to God with them. And so I want to, to show that to you. I want to look at the encouragement first. So uh, beginning verse 17 here, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. 
For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Uh, this is, these are verses of encouragement that Paul is writing to people whom he knows to be orthodox. He is, they have been taught correct doctrine. They know what is true. And the word of warning that's here in verse 17 and 18 isn't one that is given to people who believe what is false. Instead, it's a word of encouragement meant to help them to maintain the purity of their doctrine going forward. Because the hardest thing to do many times is simply to maintain hold of the truths that you have been taught from generation to generation. They say that if you study Christian history, it, you have a lot of times uh, these great revivals that happen. And all of a sudden, people are coming to Christ in a real way. People who many times have been brought up within the bounds of the church, within the part of the family of God, and they, they know all these things, but they've not ever internalized them. And then they come to faith in Christ all of a sudden in a dynamic way. And it's like everybody is a first-generation Christian again. But the progress of history often is this, that the gospel is believed in generation number one. And in generation number two, the gospel is assumed. And people tend to think, well, of course, you know, this is, this is what's true and I embrace it. But it doesn't have that same transforming power. And then in the third generation, the gospel is lost because it is neither believed nor assumed. And Paul is writing to people because he wants them to avoid that trend. To avoid the reality that over time people stop holding on to the gospel as if it is a life raft in the midst of a storm. Because that's what it is. He says you've got to hold on to the doctrine that you have been taught. Because it is precious. It's precious. And to do that, you're going to have to watch out for and to avoid those who teach contrary to it. Right? Right? When you're driving down the road this time of year, you want to watch out for potholes, right? As the, as the frost comes up out of the ground, the pavement cracks up, and you, you've got sometimes potholes big enough to swallow your car, right? And bend the wheels and all that kind of thing. So you want to, you want to notice that they're there, first of all, right? But then step number two, you want to just not, not just notice that they're there, you want to take evasive action, right? You want to avoid them. You don't want to just say, yep, there's a pothole, clunk, right? <laughs> uh, no, you don't want to find them that way. You want to see them and avoid them. Well, in the same way, there's, you want to 
not only be able to recognize false teachers and then divisive teachers, you want to avoid them. And Paul speaks about how to do that. He says, look, you need to recognize that these people do not follow our Lord Jesus Christ. They don't. But they follow what? What's the text say? Their own appetites. Some translations read their own bellies. Their own stomachs. And what that means is, 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 is in Greek thought, the idea was is that, is that your, your uh, affections and your desires come from your guts. And so if you are um, doing, if you're following your own belly, it's, or your own stomach, the idea is, is that you are just doing whatever your strongest desire is. He says you want to watch out for people who are just out of their own appetites, out of their own desires, seeking to build a kingdom for themselves. And he says, look, he says, these people have, have smooth talk and flattery that they operate by. They are slick and they always tell you what you want to hear. Always. A false teacher never announces himself and says, by the way, I'm the representative of Satan. <laughs> okay. I mean, when the Mormons come to your door, do they say, Hi, we're from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and we'd like to know if you would like to become a god. Do they say that? No, they don't say that. Is that what they believe? Yes, they believe that. That if, you're a, if you are a good Mormon, that you will become a god, and you will be given your own planet to run. And if you're a woman, as long as you're married to a good Mormon man that you will get to populate that planet with him having lots of spiritual babies. Okay? Which is their idea of heaven. That's the celestial kingdom. That's it. And until 1978, they taught that if you were an African American and you became a good Mormon, that your skin would turn white. Now that's a neat one right there. I mean, that's, you got a, you got a really good heresy going. Um... Now they, they got new revelation in 78 that changed that. But before that, you know, you had to be a white person to be a Mormon. But boy, they've got a slick presentation. You watch their commercials on TV sometime? They talk a lot about family. Talk about how if you just follow our principles, that man, you'll have a good family. And this is this is really spiritual stuff this is right thinking and boy it appeals and it sounds good or you watch a guy like joel osteen i mean he is so slick i think he's like glides when he walks <laughs> okay or you watch some of those folks on tbn which by the way i don't recommend don't do that it will not help you in your spiritual life okay about 97% probably of the people who are on there are not believers. They're false teachers. Avoid those people. But boy, they sound slick. And they're flattering. 
and what they have to say. And they tell you what you want to hear. And what they, what they do is they sand down the edges and round off the corners on God's Word. And in so doing, they depart from what the Bible says is true. And they create a version of the faith that is other than the life-giving faith the Bible presents. I had a teacher in, uh, in seminary, uh, Dr. John Hanna, one of the great... Um, Profs that I was able to enjoy, and he he would always say about some new religious movement that claimed to be Christian. He would say, "Well, that's something, but it's not Christianity." And that's true. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of a, a lot of that that is out there. And and Paul says, "You got to recognize these people. You got to watch out for them, and stay away from them." Stay away from them. Verse 19, he, he lets them know, look, I'm not telling you these things because I'm worried about you, but because I'm not, and I want that to continue. Look what he says here. He says, your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over you. In other words, it's not that I don't think you know these things. I know that you do know these things, and I want you to keep doing what you're doing. And by the way, who wouldn't want this to be the reputation of your church? That your obedience to Jesus is known to everybody. And that you are the cause of rejoicing by the apostles. But for that to continue, he says, you're going to need to be innocent of what is evil and wise as to what is good. And, and when it, in that statement, Paul is echoing Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He said, I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. By the way, don't get them backwards. Right? Don't be as innocent as a snake and wise as a dove. That's a bad combo. It says, be innocent as to what is evil and, and uh, wise as to what is good. And doing that hold, requires holding tightly to what you were taught, not just intellectually, but in the way that you live your life. Amen? You've got to hold on tight to that stuff. Uh, verse, uh, verse 20 is another couple sentences here of just beautiful encouragement. First, Paul says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now you read that and you go, the God of peace will soon crush Satan? That doesn't sound very peaceful. But you have to understand the biblical idea of peace is that you know the, the Hebrew word for it is the word shalom. And the word shalom is not just the absence of warfare, it's the idea that everything is right with the world the way that it should be. And so when he says the God of peace is going to soon crush Satan under your feet, what he means is, is that the God who establishes and makes everything right is about to do that. Is about to make everything right with the world again. And doing that is going to require, guess what? Crushing Satan under the advance of the church and the expansion of God's kingdom. Remember Jesus said that 
that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know what gates are? Gates are a defensive thing, right? So what's the image? That the church of Jesus Christ is advancing and breaking down the walls that Satan has erected. And he says we're, that, that God is going to bring about the establishment of shalom on the earth and He's going to crush all of His enemies. That's a good thing. The crushing of Satan under the wheels of God's justice is what enables shalom, peace to flourish all over the earth. And that's going to happen. Um, it's, and when's it going to happen? Soon. Soon from our perspective? Maybe. Soon from God's perspective? Yes. You know, if you live outside of time and you, um, and you say soon, how soon is that? I don't know. But from God's perspective, soon. As soon as the gospel goes forth to all nations, God will bring about the end. And he says, be encouraged. Remember, victory belongs to the Lord. And Satan will not always hold sway over this earth. He will soon be crushed. Then you also get at the end of verse 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. For Paul, grace is not simply what saves you. Grace is what also transforms you day by day. It is God's grace as the Spirit works in your heart in response to the Gospel. It is God's grace that carries you home one day into your Father's presence. Amen? And so, it is God's grace that saves. It is God's grace that sanctifies. It is God's grace that glorifies. And so he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. It's a blessing that we enjoy and we experience if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, if we have submitted our hearts and lives to Him by faith in His death and resurrection, then we have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that carries us all the way home. And He is blessing them, reminding them that God's grace is there to save, to transform, to sustain, to bring you final salvation. So these are some beautiful words of encouragement. To keep holding on to the faith you believe. To keep guarding yourself from false teachers and false teaching. And to keep looking for the Lord on His day of triumph which is coming. And, and a reminder that God's Spirit is going to carry us by His grace all the way through all of these things. Hold on to the faith that you were taught, brothers and sisters. Hold on to the faith that you were taught. Hold on to the faith that you were taught. And avoid false teachers. Very often, 
people get this label, you know, they get, well, he's controversial. He's a controversial teacher within the church, right? A few years ago, Rob Bell was controversial in some of what he had to say, right? I got another word. He was not controversial. He was simply a heretic. He was simply a false teacher who said that what Jesus said wasn't true. Jesus said, reject Jesus and go to hell. Rob Bell said, well, maybe not. I'm going to go with the guy who died for my sins and was raised from the dead. And Rob can keep surfing out there in California and do his thing. But I'm going to hold on to the faith I was taught. And we've got to do the same thing. Hold on to the faith that we were taught. Now you also get greetings here, and these are great. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosa Potter, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and his, our brother Quartus also greet you. Uh, the way these verses just kind of pop up here in the middle of this section just, just makes me smile. Because I, what, I can kind of, there's kind of an interruption, actually, in the flow of thought that Paul has kind of got going. Uh, and and I, I, it, it kind of, in my sanctified imagination, if you will, there's kind of a, I can kind of imagine the scene, right? All of these guys that Paul is teaching, including Tertius, who's the scribe, who's writing down what Paul once sent off to these people, they've listened to him teach for 15 chapters, right? And then they listen to 16 verses of him greeting everybody he knows at the Roman church. And then they hear him say, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all, which is the way Paul normally closes out his letters. And they're, they're all kind of standing around. And they're like, wait a minute, hold on, wait, stop. Before you seal up that letter, Tertius, I got some greetings too, right? So then they get their greetings in, right? And they pass that on. And I think what's beautiful about that is that God, you know, these verses are not, not all that theologically significant. But God saw fit to include these in, in His Word. And I think the reason is, is to show us another example of how God's people are to love one another with genuine affection. With genuine care for each other. And these Greetings show that to us, that there's genuine affection between uh, God's children in the body of Christ. And that is a good thing. That is a very good thing. Something of which we need regular reminders. You know, they say about the Apostle John that, you know, if you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you know, what you read is constantly John saying to people, you should love one another. You should love one another. You should love one another. My little children, love one another. A new command that I give to you. Not a new command, but an old one that you heard from the beginning. Love one another. Right? Read those sometime. And you'll see that over and over and over. You know what his last words were? According to church tradition? Beloved, love one another. And, and there's just this real, almost, tangible affection that comes through in these greetings. Wait a minute, hold on, Paul. 
Don't forget to pass on my love for these people too. And there's one more thing Paul wants to do in this letter. And, and you know he's taught them, he's encouraged them, he's greeted them. And now for the grand finale, he wants to praise God with them. So look at verses 25 to 27 here. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, some of you may have noticed, wait a minute, hold on. Verse 20 it goes verse 23, and then you get verse 25. What happened to verse 24? Well, there's a little textual problem there, and if you have an ESV Bible like mine, you'll notice it doesn't appear in the main part of the text, uh, but in a little marginal note, and the text goes from verse 23 to 25. Um, until the invention of the printing press in the 1400s, every book was hand copied. Every book was hand copied. And over time, what would happen is that, you know, the guys that were scribes would sometimes put little notes off to the side or do something like that, or they would, as if you've ever copied something, if you've ever tried to type something by hand, some of the things that happen is if you've got similar words here and here, you can wind up repeating them. And that's what they think has happened here, that, that as you look at um, the last verse, verse 27, and as you look at the end of uh, verse 20, that you've gotten some repeated language that's there that shouldn't be there, that isn't original of the text. And in fact, as you go back and you look at the very oldest manuscripts of the book of Romans from the, the early uh, period of the church, those verse, that verse doesn't appear in the text. It's not there. And she only shows up much, much later, hundreds of years later in the process of copy. And so uh, it's not there originally. Uh, you know, we have about 102% of God's word in some cases. Um, <laughs> and that some of what some monk may have written in mistakenly uh, is, uh, is not there, uh, original to the text. And as we find more and more manuscripts, we're able to discern that with more and more accuracy. If you're really curious about that issue, I can talk to you about it afterward, but I can also uh, give you some good reading on textual criticism and how we uh, make sure that what we hold to as the Bible is, in fact, what God wrote. Um, but the remaining verses are indisputably God's Word. And what they say, uh, what they are, is a doxology, a, a hymn of praise, if you will, to God. They're one continuous sentence, in fact, of praise and worship to God, culminating in verse 27 in a prayer that God might be glorified forever through Jesus Christ. And verses 25 and 26 are kind of the beginning of that crescendo of praise. They, you know, if you're familiar with music, you know that just gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And Paul is just stacking on top of each other all of these. Uh, glorious accomplishments of God for which we should give Him praise for all eternity. And so God should be praised, he says, because God strengthens His people through the Gospel as Paul proclaims it. He is preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified and raised. And through that, God is not only saving people, 
but he's also transforming them and strengthening them in spiritual maturity day by day. And so God should be praised for that. And God should be praised because he has clearly revealed in our day the mystery of the salvation of the Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, as you look through your Old Testament, you've got all of these promises about a coming Messiah, and you've got promises about a day when Gentiles too would, would come uh, through Israel's Messiah to worship the one true God. And you don't know how all that fits together as you read your Old Testament, but Paul is saying this mystery that the Gentile nations of the world would come to worship Israel's God through Israel's Messiah, it's now been revealed clearly what God's plan was from the beginning. Praise Him for that. Praise Him for that. Praise Him forever for that. It was hidden, but now it's obvious. God is saving the Gentiles too. And that mystery has been revealed and clearly seen not only through the prophetic writings, that is through the Old Testament prophets who predicted it would happen, but it's also being proclaimed in the present day in accordance with God's command. And the Great Commission is being fulfilled. It is being fulfilled. And all nations are coming to faith. And all these things are happening because of God's express command and His purpose and His plan coming to fruition through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, may He be praised and glorified forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Now, I can think of only one good way to end this message and this book. And that is to stand and to treat this passage of Scripture here at the end as our prayer uh, up to the Lord. So if you'd stand and join me, I'm going to read in an attitude of prayer these three verses. Once again, that we might glorify God together, and then we're going to sing out our praise as well. So, now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you'd remain standing so we can sing some more praise to our God who has saved us and transformed us and revealed the glory of His glorious plan for our salvation in Christ, uh, we want to give Him praise before we go.